Welcome to the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield, joined as always by my two co-hosts, Matt and Lando, and our tech producer, Keys. This week, we have some major overreactions to week one of the college football season. We have tons of mailbag questions sent in by you guys. We bring back two great traditions from last year, and we have some great picks of the week for you guys. You will not want to miss a single second. Hope you all enjoy. Those ribs I made yesterday, oh, son, banging. They were really oh, good. Oh, those things looked so good. They were really good. That's, that's probably the best best ones I've done in like a while. Those ribs look banging. In Statesboro over the weekend, a couple of the the people who I know who still go down there. You remember um, the voices? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember all those and, guys. And, and Galt. We saw Galt when we were down yeah, there. Yeah, I remember Galt. Well, uh, all those guys, they were doing, uh, they were smoking a brisket and doing some other things at their house. And I was like, man, kind of wish I was doing that tonight for game day. A little college football, a little barbecue. You can't get, can't get any better than that. But we ended up going to the bars where I felt like I was 50 years old. You got girls walking around who look like they're 10. Just, ah, oh, Lord, please, Jesus, don't let me have a daughter. <laughs> Good luck, Matt. I know, poor Matt. Dude, that means you're going to have a daughter. <laughs> oh, I already, already, already know I'm going to have a daughter. I already know yeah. it. Yeah, no, that's... uh. Yeah, yeah. Especially so like yesterday we go to the Ole Miss game. I'm sitting in the middle of the student section. Me and and uh my father in law are sitting in the middle of the student section and, and the whole time we were like I was just sitting there thinking like, God, Lucy, please don't dress like any of these girls. <laughs> <laughs> the Southern game was fun though, man. Uh me and Keesler got to watch the most exciting thirty seconds in all of college football, Freedom's Flight. That was oh, uh, freedom flight. I, yeah. I missed it. I I really missed that. It kind of flies around a little bit more now. Yeah, flew around a little bit. Gave us a little show. Did y'all actually stay for the entire game? No, we stayed for a quarter and one drive <laughs> to watch Southern score, and then we went on to a blue room. Y'all missed a heck of an ending. Yeah, well, it was it was kind of frustrating in the first quarter. There, they they weren't doing too hot. Yeah, you know, I, I know I, I know I'm beating a dead horse here. But that offense has to has to do something, man. It it's it's just the same thing every year. With uh, it looked better. I like the tempo that they were doing. They had they had some good upbeat tempo, kind of keeping the defense on their toes. But sometimes you gotta you gotta pitch the old pigskin to to combine with that run because the, the running game's really good. But when you run it so much, the defense can just load the box. The safeties can come down, and that gives you prime opportunity to to throw the ball over the top. Or get some of those nice slant routes that Alabama likes to run, or uh, Ole Miss likes to run. So I really, I really hope that the Georgia Southern offense coordinator looks at what happened on Saturday and makes some small tweaks and adjustments, so that way we can uh, throw the old pigskin just a little bit more. Because we have the athletes, just got to use them. Yeah, I think I think the problem is is I don't know if we have the quarterback to make those reads that can can make the plays. I mean, I I assume that Coach Lunsford has recruited the right guys to fit those positions but i mean i 
I, I'm totally with you. At some point, you've got to ditch that offense because the the run, also running the triple option from five yards behind the line of scrimmage. You're instead of having to get ten yards in a cloud of dust, it's it's you're you're trying to get fifteen, and it's and it's frustrating because you you know you're setting yourself up for failure in a lot of ways because. You know, if you don't if you don't get those big chunk plays early in the drive, then you set yourself up in third and long situations more easily. And I, I just I, I I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, no, I like I said, I've said this many times. When you run the triple option from the gun or the pistol, you're already starting five yards back, so you're already losing ground. And when you run that little pitch out, you man, you're just losing yards. Georgia Tech when they were still running that triple option under center, or Army or Air Force when they run the triple option from under center. It's made to go forward, not backwards. So that's what we have to either go under center and run triple option or start running those RPOs because, Matt, you mentioned reads, making those reads. Those reads really aren't that hard. You read that end. If he if he comes in, you throw that slant route, and it's wide open. You know, if he stays out, then you give the ball or you run it. So it, the reads really aren't that difficult if you in, uh, put in place the right system. Well, what, what I think is crazy, too, is we are so close to having – a solid RPO offense, like what Ole Miss has. If we, instead of just running the ball in every single play, if we had a quarterback that could actually like step back and throw the ball, we would be so much better. I mean, I don't know if y'all got to watch the game. I know Matt was actually at the game on Sunday, but Ole Miss's offense is so creative. I mean, Matt Corral is a great quarterback. He does a really good job of reading defenses. I think he's even better than he was last year at reading defenses. If, if Georgia Southern could go to something like that, where you have a guy who could actually sit there and instead of just like handing the ball off every single play or doing a little um doing a little pitch play or whatever actually step back and throw the ball that was one thing shy words could not do last year like we haven't had a passing game since i've been a georgia southern fan so i mean it's 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 honestly tough to watch I've been around the Georgia Southern football program my entire life, and they've never had a passing game. And the one year they tried to do it was whenever they brought in Brian Van Gorder, and everybody ran him off because the team was miserable because he didn't have any talent that could run a spread system or any type of anything like that. But uh, honestly, when I was at the game last night, I, I thought that Southern shows a lot of elements of more of Louisville's offense. Uh, Louisville has a guy that, that they they do the RPO stuff and but he's got just a good enough arm to make some of those throws like Matt Corral it's going to be really hard for Southern to get a quarterback that has the arm talent and the ability to read defenses that Matt How uh, Matt Corral has uh, almost gave myself credit there Matt How uh, watching that game last night there was a throw. I don't remember what drive it was, but Corral threw a ball in between two defenders, and he hit Dontario Drummond like on a on a post route or something, and it was just like he fitted in there, and it was such a great throw that I was just like, wow, like how did he fit that ball in there? That was insane. And so for 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 Southern, I think they need to take that first up, be more of a Louisville, like get a get a good athletic quarterback that can also make some of those easier throws. If Nick Marshall can do it, anyone can do it. And Matt, you mentioned Matt Corral. If if he keeps it up, he's going to win the Heisman because with Lane Kiffin's kind of pro-style type of offense and then their offensive coordinator, the, the guy that came from Baylor, he is an, Jeff offens- yeah, he's an offensive guru because he, he knows what play he's going to call probably like four plays in advance. So when you combine that with Lane Kiffin's like pro-style uh, pro offense, man, you, you have something special. Complete opposite of what Spencer Rattler did on Saturday. Yeah, that was... Uh... I don't. I don't know how much you want to talk about that. You know, I mean, it, obviously, obviously, 
as a college football podcast, we have to because week one, there were a lot of teams that I feel like underperformed, Oklahoma being one of them. That game, initially, I was upset because it's embarrassing to win 40 to 35 against Tulane, you know. But having sat on it for a couple days, one, a win is a win. Two, we must not forget that Willie Fritz is the head coach of Tulane, and he is that type of coach that if you don't prepare during the week and if you don't play 60 minutes of American collegiate tackle football, they will hand you your ass, and that is exactly what almost happened. This Oklahoma team has the same issue it has last it had last year. It only knows how to play 25 minutes of a 60-minute football game, and I think that falls on coaching, one, because you have to coach your players – to be able to play all 60 minutes, not just 25 minutes. you got to play that extra 35 minutes. And to go into Spencer Rattler, he needs to work on a lot of things. His footwork is, is horrible. He throws off his back foot way too much. He's thrown into triple, you know, quadruple coverage the, the entire time. You know, and it, it just it just completely bogs down the offense. And defensively, got to tackle. You have to tackle. They They had a couple drives in there where... I was like, wow, this defense is looking really good. It's kind of looking like what it looked like last year, at the end of last year. But you got to be able to keep that type of physical play throughout the entire football game, not just for two quarters. So I think last uh, Saturday was a learning moment, but you only learn uh, if you actually implement what you messed up on and implement that into the next game. So I'm expecting Oklahoma to win next week by at least 60 points. If they don't, I'm going to be worried. But for right now, it is what it is. Win is a win. Yeah, and I mean, Tulane actually showed up to play in that game, too. That was not just a rollover and, and beat the tar out of the team kind of game. I mean, they were coming off a emotional moment in New Orleans. Um, they were supposed to play that game in Tulane, and they moved over to Oklahoma. And Oklahoma, you know, actually put the Tulane uh, logos on the field to show them that there was a home game. And they gave him all the proceeds to the game, so it worked out pretty well. But, I mean, I think people are overreacting quite a bit to what we saw with Oklahoma. Like, I understand Spencer Rattler worries me a little bit with just how many turnovers he has. Yeah, but it's horrible. I think the fact that Caleb Williams is behind him is going to push him to work hard. Like, I think that was a problem last year. Spencer Rattler came out. He didn't feel like he was getting pushed. He was just like, oh, I'm, I'm the starter. I'm the star. I'm a, I, I was a five-star guy. I was – dominant in high school like I already know like I'm the quarterback for Lincoln Riley I'm probably gonna win the Heisman this year and then he ended up getting benched during the Texas game right Mm -hmm. and um and yeah and he came back after that and was playing awesome so I I don't know if he'll get benched this year but I think just the fact that like if I'm Lincoln Riley I'm telling him if you keep throwing three interceptions a game turn the ball over like you were doing you're you're gonna get benched like Caleb Williams is too good for us not to play him if you're not gonna play well so I, I think he'll he'll he's going to take stuff like that to heart and actually improve upon what he's doing. I think I think you'll see a big turn for Spencer Rattler come soon. One of my biggest issues with him is I don't see any leadership qualities in his body because during the entire game on Saturday you didn't see him on the sidelines going and talking to the offensive line, going and talking to the receivers, going and talking to the running backs, or trying to galvanize the troops and saying, "Hey, let's get going." We need to we need to start playing like we're Oklahoma, like we're the number two team in the country. You didn't see that at all on Saturday, and that worries me. Like when we had quarterbacks in the past, Jalen Hurts did that, Kyler Murray did that, Baker Mayfield did that. He needs to to really accept this leadership role 
and and galvanize these troops because we can't play like this for the rest of the season if we want to have a shot at making it into a college football playoff, let alone win our very first college football playoff uh, game. So we, we really need to work on this because if this keeps up, I'm going to say this right now and take note of this. Caleb Williams is going to beat out Spencer Rattler before the end of the season. See, I, I got to give some credit to Tulane, though, because there was a point where I think the score had gotten up to, like, what, 34 to 14? Like, Oklahoma had pulled away, and Tulane didn't lay down and die and take it. They they came back, and that shows a lot of heart for Tulane, and we'll see how good Tulane is because Tulane could actually turn out to be a, a pretty decent team, and, and who knows? I mean, week one of every college football season, you never really know what you're going to get. And I, I do agree, Spencer Rattler's really got to cut down on the turnovers, and that I mean that's going to be a huge element to Oklahoma's success. If he doesn't cut down on the turnovers, there Oklahoma's going to be in games that are going to be close that shouldn't be close. I.e. like last year, uh, Kansas State. And that Iowa game shouldn't State. have happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Iowa State. So, you know, if he continues to go down that path, Caleb Caleb Williams will take over that team. But I'll be honest, I think that Oklahoma could be a better team with Caleb Williams than they are with Spencer Rattler. 100%. I, like, when I was watching the spring game, the difference in the offense when Rattler was in and when Caleb Williams was in was night and day. The offense was smooth. It looked good. We could run the ball. We could throw the ball. The passes were a lot better. One thrown into double or triple coverage. And I also think his ability to run and get outside the pocket is also going to be able to help Oklahoma make a lot of those bigger plays because Spencer Rattler is not mobile at all. So... Ah, we have a lot to figure out. Oklahoma has a lot to figure out, so I'm still hopeful. One or no, gotta they, gotta go two and they no. do. But honestly, if you look at the AP rankings right now, every team in the top 25 has a lot to figure out, except for Alabama. I'd say Alabama is the only team that came out playing midseason form, like they do every year. Um, I mean, I don't even know why they come out here. And, I don't know why they blow up these matchups like Alabama, Miami, like when Alabama played USC, when Alabama played Florida State. Everyone knows that most teams start week one, unless you play like a little FCS team or or like a smaller G5 team that you know you're probably going to blow out. The top teams, even the top five, usually don't come out to play at midseason form right away. The only team that does year in and year out is Alabama. And honestly, I mean, I thought that they would take a step back this year with Bryce Young, at least early on, but I don't think they've taken a step back at all. See, I didn't know that they were that, that there was going to be a step back. I just didn't know what to expect. I thought that there might be. I mean, Bill O'Brien coming in, so you've got a new play caller, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, new running back, mostly new receivers. Obviously, Mechie's a returner. Uh, Javon Baker, he's coming back, but he didn't get. A, he wasn't like in the starting rotation last year for receivers. Cameron Latu, freshman. Like you've just got all these new pieces there. The only thing that I knew we were going to have pretty decent was O line. Uh Evan Neal was moving from right tackle over to left tackle. Um I mean we did still lose two guys early in the draft that were on the O line. So I knew the defense was going to be good, but man, they they came to play. Like every element of the game, special teams, knock on wood, still haven't missed a kick. Uh, with Will Reichard. Uh, special teams look great. The offense looked extremely smooth. Bryce Young, he made a he missed a couple of throws that I was like, that's what made Mac Jones so good last year. 
But then he would come back and he would make a great play by getting out of the pocket, extending a play, and finding an open receiver and moving the ball downfield. And it was like, that's what that I mean, that just makes it more dynamic of an offense. Uh, his ability to extend plays and do stuff like that. Uh, he's not going to have the offensive line that Mac Jones had last year. And Brian Robinson, I thought, looked really good coming out of the backfield. Trey Sanders got his first career touchdown, uh, or first touchdown of the season. I think he had one a couple years ago, but uh, before he got hurt. Good to see him coming back from a couple injuries. I don't want to say that it's going to happen, but I could see Alabama's offense being just as good as last year with a defense that's going to be a little bit better. Yeah, man, I want to I want to touch on what you just said because I wasn't worried about Alabama just because they have Nick Saban. Nick Saban has his hand in every phase of the game. So offensively, Bill O'Brien, yes, he's the offense coordinator, but Nick Saban is still going to be in his ear telling him, "Hey, we need to do this here. We need to do that there. Don't get too cute with the play calling. Don't don't do this. Don't get us in trouble here." So Nick Saban, of course, is the greatest coach of all time in college football. He 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 knows how to minimize mistakes when you have new pieces, new coaches, new players, and I think that is what's going to really help Alabama with this brand new quarterback that they have. Yeah, and I mean Bill O'Brien, it's not like you're bringing in a guy who has no real offensive experience. I mean, this guy was an NFL offensive coordinator for Bill Belichick. He was a head coach in the NFL, a head coach for uh, Penn State back in the day. This guy's got a lot of good knowledge. So I knew coming in, I really wasn't that worried about the offense. I thought maybe at the beginning of the season, you might see a little bit of a step back, which I don't think they're the same. They're not as good as last year, and I don't think they will be as good as last year throughout the whole season on offense. But I think the defense is so much better. Like, Matt, you said maybe just a little bit better than last year. I think the defense is way better than last year. I think it's like head head and shoulders better than last year. And and then the offense takes a little bit of a step back, but not enough. It's it's still the best offense, probably the best offense in football. So it's not like they're taking a huge step back, having to go through all these changes. I mean, they're they're jumping right back in where they were pretty much. But I think you're going to see a trend with that across the board in college football. Defenses are going to be better this year because they had spring practice, and they didn't have that last year. So, I mean, even like at the Ole Miss game last night, they held, they pitched a shutout through the first half, which was unheard of last year. I mean, they had one of the worst defenses in the country last year in every major category. They were like 117th out of 127 in total defense and 126 out of 127 in rushing defense. So you see the step that they've made. I, I, that's what I meant by they're, they're, they looked a little better, and I think they're going to continue to get better, which is what also makes Georgia look so scary this year is that offense is going to take time to gel, and you didn't have a lot of the weapons that Georgia's going to have throughout the year, and that defense still was lights out. Yeah, but I do want to say Clemson took a major step back offensively. Holy crap. Like I, they need to figure something out. Marcus Spears said something on SportsCenter the other day that is actually pretty true. Uh, Clemson's offense is the same offense that we've seen for the past how many years? Six, seven years. They haven't evolved. Nick Saban knows how to evolve. He knows how to evolve the offense. I think Dabo Swinney needs to start taking that step and evolve his offense into something that's just not relying on big playmakers. He needs to start relying on scheme to get those playmakers in space, and it's just going to help the offense out entirely. But Georgia's defense is also very nasty. 
I honestly think when it comes to Clemson's offense, the biggest difference between them and teams like Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, um, and Alabama is the recruiting on the offensive line. They've only had one five-star in the past 10 years on the offensive line. That was Jackson Carmen. He left last year. Their offensive line, it's not it's not a group that year in and year out is going to be a good unit. Like No matter what, Georgia's got three new stars in the offensive line. They're all five stars. Alabama's got, what, two or three new stars in the offensive line? All five stars. Ohio State has NFL-level tackles playing guard right now because they have so much talent on the offensive line. They don't even know what to do with. Clemson, it's all guys. They're not developed well. They're three-star guys coming out that really don't have that much talent. Are they better than, you know, Georgia Tech's offensive line? Yeah, they are. But they're still not as good. They're not good enough to handle the defensive lines of teams like Ohio State, as you saw last year in the um, in the Sugar Bowl, and then this year with Georgia. I mean, it was completely dominant. Um, and I, honestly, I felt bad for DJ. I feel like he got ripped on a little too much. Um, a lot of people were saying he's not good, he's overrated, blah, blah, blah. I don't really think it was as much DJ as it was that Georgia just affected him so much because their offensive line could not hold up. I mean, it looked like Trevor Lawrence last year. I mean, Trevor Lawrence could make more plays happen because he was better in the pocket than DJ is. But, I mean, DJ didn't have time to throw the ball at all. No, and and, and that's one thing that I noticed too was I, I don't think that DJ is anywhere in the same ballpark as Trevor Lawrence talent-wise. But very few people are. I mean, with Trevor Lawrence, you're talking about a guy that was rated like Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning that are generational-type quarterbacks. DJ is going to be okay, I think, but Trevor Lawrence, if you saw him in the in the playoff game against Ohio State, he was able to make some plays happen that a first-year starter is not going to be able to make that happen. Uh, Trevor Lawrence had been around for two years already as a full-time starter. He basically three, if you include uh, all the year last year before the playoff, and he was making plays happen. DJ just isn't there yet, and honestly – I don't think that Clemson has the playmakers on the outside. Like Justin Ross, I don't know that he's 100%. Like the injury that he had, sure, he can feel 100%, but I don't think he's going to be the guy that he was pre-injury. And you lost Travis Etienne, another first-round draft pick as a running back. They made plays happen behind that offensive line that really wasn't good, and you saw them get exposed against Ohio State. There was a play that this past weekend I saw. I think N'Kobe Dean sacked. DJ with a three-man rush, a three-man rush that Georgia sent, and they got a sack. I don't care what level or how good a defense is, you should never send a three-man rush and get a sack. That's just, you're dropping eight, you're conceding to get the pass. You're wanting the interception, you're wanting to make a play, and you get a sack out of that. That that just tells you how bad that Clemson offensive line is. Yep, but speaking of that, uh, that actually leads us into our first mailbag question. This one's from at Chad S., underscore 529 his question is are we buying the UGA defense or selling the Clemson offense I'm gonna go with both I think UGA's defense is really good and they're only gonna get better barring any injuries let's hope you know there there aren't any injuries with UGA's defense but I think UGA's defense is elite that being said I think Clemson really needs to figure something out offensively because it's bad it's really bad they they just need to Man, it, they have a lot of work to do. I don't know. I don't know what sp- specifically they need to do, but they need to figure something out because it's it's looking pretty pretty bad. 
Yeah, and, and and you hit the nail on the head. It's it, it's a little bit of both. I think that Georgia's defense looked even better because of how bad Clemson's offensive line is. But Georgia's defense is elite. I mean, it's going to be top five in the country, if not top two or three. I mean, they they are very very good. Um, the one thing I think the one area of concern for Georgia was secondary uh, on their defense, and with the front eight that they have it makes the secondary's job a lot easier um, because when you're putting that much pressure on quarterbacks, that's, that's going to happen. And then with Clemson, Clemson's lost a lot over the past few years. Now they've recruited well, obviously they've been top two or three or top five, at least in the, the past three or four years. But what kind of development is happening there? And I'm still not sold on DJ as being the truth. Um, I, I kind of said that last week coming in. I'm not going to make a, a, a irrational statement this week and say he's going to be a bust or whatever. But uh, I, I mean, I'm 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 not buying Clemson as being what they have been in the past. I think the ACC is going to be a little more competitive this year. But Georgia's defense is also very elite. Yeah, Matt, I agree with you. The only thing is, I do think Clemson is still going to be dominant in the ACC because I don't think there's another team in the ACC that has the kind of defense and the kind of athletes that Georgia does have. Now, I think Clemson still has a really good chance to make the playoff. I do think they have to win out 100%. Um, and I think they need Georgia to lose two games. Because I think at the end of the year, if you have an undefeated Georgia lose to Alabama and keep it within, say, seven or ten points, whatever, I think they would put Georgia in over Clemson. Let me ask you this question. So... I know Georgia's been hit hard with COVID this week. Just for for the sake of conversation, Georgia loses several starters on defense to a COVID situation. They go in and they play Kentucky. Kentucky beats them, and then they have a bad game off day, whatever, at Florida or Alabama in the SEC championship. Does a one-loss Clemson get in over a COVID-affected two-loss UGA? Yes, 100%. 100%. I think it's close. Even if Georgia only has one loss but loses the SEC championship, if Clemson looks good and wins out in the ACC, I think they would put – I think it, it would be very close. I think they would put Georgia in over Clemson as long as it was close with Alabama. But say Alabama beats Georgia by, you know, like 30 points or 24 points like they did last year, I think they would stick Clemson in over Georgia if that were the case. So two loss Georgia for sure. I don't think they'd put them in. But either way, we'll go ahead and move on to Chad's next question. This was actually it was asked by two different people. It was asked by Chad and our buddy Mark Scratis. Uh, I want to give him a shout out too. He asked it in our around the keg message. He wanted to know is Ed Ogeron Gene Chizik 2.0? What do y'all think? I think he's worse because Gene Chizik after they won that national championship with Cam Newton. Auburn was was going down the hill. They were bad, but they they weren't nowhere near as his LSU bad. LSU is horrible. They are bad. And the only reason Ed O is still there, one, because LSU, the school, Baton Rouge, they love Coach O, and he's also a good recruiter. So that's the only reason he's still there. Man, outside, I think about that Auburn team, and I have to give so much props to Cam Newton because you look outside of Cam Newton and that team had like no talent. I mean, Nick Fairley was a beast in college. He was an NFL bust. But you look at NFL-wise, like Cam Newton was the only guy on that team to ever do anything in the NFL, won an MVP, and he absolutely led that team to a natty. 
So in that regard, I, I wouldn't say that, that Ed O is worse than Chizik because Ed O is a heck of a recruiter. Like the talent that they have on that team is still going to be top three or four recruit star wise coming out of uh, high school. And the problem I think that with, with Orgeron is he's too much of a cheerleader and not enough of a developer. And he struck lightning in a bottle where he had like what, six first rounders in one year and got the best a generational quarterback, Cam Newton kind of guy that was a, a game changer. And I mean, even that year though, LSU was in a one score game with Texas. They were in a one score game with Alabama and they were in a one score game with Florida. There were games that could have been lost that were won by Clyde Edwards Elaire, Alabama. And Auburn. And and Auburn. Yeah. Yeah. They had I think it was a field goal that won that game. So yeah, it was a three point game. So you had those four games that were all won by Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards Elaire, Jamar Chase, and uh Jefferson, Jordan Jefferson. I mean, they they had they were loaded at receiver that year. So talent wise, I think that Ed O has been a done a great job of keeping LSU stacked. But developmentally, he's awful. Um, so I would say he is Chiswick 2.0 in the sense, the sense that he's a better recruiter. But he's never LSU is never going to be elite again as far as competing for a natty with Ed Orgeron as their head coach. But I do – I'm very concerned about Edo. I don't think he's going to be around for much longer. The biggest concern for me is his niche is the defense. And since he's been there – Every single year, including the national championship year, their defense has gotten worse. So Edo's, I mean, he's like Gene Chizik where he needs to, he's very dependent on other factors for him to be good. Like Nick Saban, you could put anybody on that team and he's still going to at least win 10 games a year, no matter what. With Edo, if you have the right players on the team, I think they're going to do really well. But I think he's got to have the right coaching staff and he's got to have the right players for um, the system they run. For him to be successful. I do think he got pretty lucky with Joe Burrow. Um, and that entire team that year. Um, even their offensive line. I mean that's the best offensive line that LSU's had in a while too. So I'm um, selling the Gene Chiswick 2.0. But I do think Edo is on a downhill slope. And I don't think it's going to be going up anytime soon. But moving on to the next question. This one's from at Blunt Monk. And his question is. Why is Miami so bad? I'll be honest, I I don't really think Miami is that bad. They just got way outplayed and way overmatched by a better Alabama team. Look, Miami is going to be competitive in most ACC games. Um, Maybe they get blown out by Clemson. De'Eric King, I don't think he's 100%. I mean, he didn't show a lot of flash. I think that there's some some coaching issues, uh, like, for example, deciding to run a QB sneak up the middle on fourth and goal out of the shotgun uh, against a defensive line that has pretty much dominated you all day. Probably not the smartest. I I wouldn't say that Miami's that bad, though. I mean, we don't really know how bad Miami is until we watch them play a game against a team not named Alabama. Matt, you hit the nail on the head. We need to see – I personally need to see Miami throughout the rest of the season to really make a a decision on if they're – a good football team or not. They played a really good Alabama football team and anybody is going to look bad against Alabama week one if if they play like that. So I'm going to hold out on my uh, answer for that until later in the season. 
Yeah, I will too. You guys are right. Alabama is in a league of their own. This isn't like this isn't them playing one of the better teams in the ACC, not named Clemson. This isn't them playing North Carolina. This isn't Virginia Tech. This isn't one of those teams. This is a completely different level of team than they're going to see until the ACC championship if they end up making it there. So I think Miami, you got to watch and see what they do. I do think they still have a really good team. I'm not really sold on Derek King. I'm, that's one thing. Coming into the season, I was kind of thinking he was going to do be really good. But honestly, now that I've thought about it, I don't really think he's the best passer. He's a really good athlete. He's got a decent arm, but he's not like – everybody was saying he's you know going to win the Heisman, whatever. I just don't think he's a good enough passer to be that kind of guy. So I think people are kind of overrating the team just because of that. I don't think they're going to win their division this year. Um, I think they're going to be a top three team in that division. I don't think they're going to win it. Um, but I do think they're a top 20 team, though. And on to the next question. This one's from at Grayson Girton. And his question is, is Tulane underrated or is Oklahoma overrated? <sighs> I think Tulane is underrated. I also believe that Oklahoma came out there thinking they could just roll their helmets out and get an easy dub, and they didn't prepare well enough in the week throughout the week. So uh, jury is still out on Oklahoma. I think a lot of people are overreacting, calling Oklahoma overrated. I don't think that's the case at all, but there are a lot of things they need to figure out, and they need to uh, prepare better for these games throughout the week in order to really perform like a top-four team in the country. So I think Tulane is a good football team. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. Like the the week one overreactions are always 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 for whatever reason really insane. This one is one of those that I feel like everybody is overreacting. I think Oklahoma kind of fell in that trap of uh they I, I think some of their players got into a little bit of that rat poison that Nick Saban talks about where they've been told all offseason how great they're going to be this year and how good they are and that they're going to be able to roll their helmet out win the Big 12 go to the playoff and potentially have a shot at a national championship this year and quite frankly that's what they look like on on Saturday now, I think that they they showed flashes where they were that team in that game, but then they also showed flashes of where they were going to keep let teams like Tulane stay in games mm-hmm. and I mean Tulane had a, had the ball with a with a chance to win the game at the end of that game, which was insane. They got the onside kick. I I think Tulane's going to be a good football team and we'll see in 2 weeks when Tulane goes to Oxford, Mississippi and plays Ole Miss. I think that's going to be a heck of a football game and we'll see then. How good Tulane really is, um, but I think Tulane's a, a good football team. I think they're one of those overlooked type of teams mm-hmm. uh, in 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 the uh, are they conference USA or yeah uh, American yeah. conference? Yeah, yeah. They're the American conference. Oh, they are American. They right, are yeah. American. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think mm-hmm. they're they're an overlooked team in the American conference a lot of times because you know you, there's a lot of talented teams that are in that conference. So I, I think Tulane's going to be a good team this year, though. See, I, I think it depends on what you mean by underrated, like. To me, Tulane is always kind of like that App State type group of five team where they're they're a good group of five team. I mean, Willie Fritz has been there since, what, 2017 now? So he's been there for a while. And ever since he's been there, they've been towards the top of their division, um, towards the top of their conference. They they just don't get talked about a lot because you got teams like UCF, Cincinnati, um, SMU, teams like that that are always winning the conference and doing better and playing in the uh, the – uh, New Year's Six games, stuff like that. But so I wouldn't. I don't think they're underrated because I do think they're good. I don't think they're a top twenty-five team. 
I definitely don't think Oklahoma is overrated. I think they came in, like Lando said, like we talked about earlier, they came in thinking they were going to roll um, against Tulane and and they didn't perform to how they thought they were going to. But like I've said too, pretty much every team besides Alabama did not show up in midseason form. So I think the next couple weeks, Oklahoma's schedule, you know, kind of drops off a little bit. They have an easy should have an easy win this week, and then they have Nebraska the week after that. To me, I think that's an easy win too. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of improvement with Oklahoma the next couple weeks. They're going to see a lot of what they need to improve in on tape, and uh, I think they'll be that top four team by week four or five. So I'm not calling them overrated. I think they probably played overrated, but so did a lot of teams. So um, yeah, I'd say Tulane underrated more than Oklahoma overrated for sure. Next question. This one's from Mr. Tank Handsome, and he wants to know, do we think Rutgers can continue rolling, or is Temple just hot garbage? Yeah, Rutgers is going to continue rolling because Greg Schiano is a really good football coach. So that's that, that's just the bottom line. Rutgers is going to be pretty good. Bingo. Bingo, Lando. Greg Schiano had Rutgers rolling when he was there the first time. He leaves. He goes to the NFL to try that out. It doesn't work out for him. Tennessee fans throw a hot temper fit because they think that they're going to get Greg Schiano. He ends up not going there, goes to Rutgers, and they start winning football games. And I want that to continue happening. Rutgers, keep on rolling, baby, because I want Tennessee fans to remember that every day of their life. The fact that they ran off Greg Schiano, who was winning football games at Rutgers. What could have been? Imagine being a Tennessee fan right now. What could have been? Yeah, I mean, honestly. But I think y'all are right. I think Rutgers is going to have a good year for Rutgers. And to me, that means like winning five or six games, which is honestly unheard of if you're Rutgers football. Usually they're like a two or three win team at best. So, I mean, good for Rutgers, man. I like seeing them win football games. They scored 61 points on Saturday um, they, they against Temple. They looked great. Temple is hot garbage for sure. But that doesn't mean that. I mean, scoring 61 points in a football game if you're Rutgers is a huge, huge, huge accomplishment. So I think they'll keep doing well. They're not going to win the Big Ten. They're not going to win their division. But I think they're going to win a couple of games. Might even be able to play in a bowl game this year. So we'll see what happens. But next question's from Lando's best friend at Pocorny Aaron. And his question is, does Georgia air it out all game against UAB to see if we can get the receivers going for the season? Hey, man, Pecorni Aaron, this is actually a really good question. And I I believe that Georgia has to air it out all game against UAB because we have to see what JT Daniels is about. We have to, and like you said, you got to get these receivers in sync with JT Daniels. This is a perfect opportunity for Georgia to get this offense rolling for, for the rest of the season. Great question. Well, you're moving past your grudge there. Well, I mean, he was he was given horrible questions. Like, this is this is a well-thought-out question. I like it. This is a great question. Keep it going, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, on one hand, I see what you're saying, Lando. But on the on the other hand, why not keep on shoving the ball down their throat? I mean, Zamir White had a heck of a game against Clemson. I know you want to get the I know you want to get the passing game going, uh, but get the you don't have to air it out 50 times a game in order to get that to happen because what you wind up what what can wind up happening in that situation is you let UAB hang around longer than they should. You want to know why Matt? You want to know why Georgia has to air the ball out against UAB and why Lando's right? 
because if Georgia can't throw the ball, there's no way they beat Alabama. There's no way. Alabama and Bryce Young and that offense is too good for you to try and run the ball and beat and just play good defense. Thank you. It's not going to happen. There's no possible way. Georgia has to change the offense. And even though you could tell in the game against Clemson, it's a different system for sure. But Georgia in that game played conservative. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because some of the receivers were out. I don't know if it's because they don't trust JT Daniels to throw the ball yet at this point in the season. I don't know. But And JT honestly didn't look great to me against Clemson either. He definitely could have had some better passes. I think he has got to throw the ball at least 40 times against UAB just to get that that feel, that, that, that camaraderie. To get that chemistry with the receivers. Like I, th- I just think if he can get going... We had the athletes to do it. Once we get the guys back, the Kyrus Jackson, Dominic Blaylock, uh, Darnell Washington, once all those guys are back, I think we had the athletes to have a really, really good offense, a really good passing offense as well, not just rushing offense, um, especially with the dynamic ability of a lot of those running backs too. I mean, you saw it against Clemson. We threw the ball to the running backs the whole game. The problem is we have to be able to throw the ball downfield. We can't just throw 10-yard passes like we did with Jake Fromm every single pass we can't do that on and we can't just have third and longs and try and throw short passes the whole game no, it's not gonna work we got we gotta have a deep play yeah and, no, and i mean I, I agree with you but but one one point real quick that i, I want to make is you just mentioned all these guys that are going to be starters when they come back that aren't going to be in the game this weekend so you're going to be trying to build chemistry with receivers that aren't even going to be in the game against alabama so that's why i'm saying it. i mean shoot if you want to air it out 40 times a game to see if you can get that down go for it but you're going to have to redo that again anyways later down the road whenever you do get you know your 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 receivers back Darnell Washington back I mean th- those guys have got to be in the game to build that chemistry it doesn't happen from well, I, from just I think it has more to do with JT Daniels getting into the system than it does actually like chemistry with the receivers I know I said chemistry with the receivers but I mean our number one receiver is Jermaine Burton he had a terrible game against Clemson Get, he'll, he's playing at UAB unless he got COVID because we don't know who got COVID from Georgia. Arian Smith is a track star playing slot receiver. He's a guy I think is going to get a lot of playing time no matter who comes back and plays. That'll be good chemistry with them. I think JT just needs to get comfortable playing in that offense regardless of who's there. And if he does, if he can throw the ball, if we can start throwing the ball at least 30 times a game with JT and throw some balls over the safety's head and not just dump balls off, I think Georgia could have a really, really good offense. We just need to open it up. Yeah, and I'll just say this one thing, and we can move to the next uh, the next question. Uh, Georgia's offense, I'm not a Georgia fan, but it, it, it even frustrates me because it reminds me a lot of Georgia Southern's offense. It's so predictable, just doing the same thing over and over again. That's the definition of insanity, when you do the same thing over and over again. We ha- Georgia has to change things in order to be able to beat teams like Alabama that put up lots of points. Yeah, I could go on and on about this. But we're going to go ahead and move on just because so this podcast isn't seven hours. The next question is from at Kissler underscore 106. He thinks Uangalole is Kelly Bryant 2.0. said, prove me wrong. No, because I think DJ has elite arm talent, and Clemson really needs to surround him with a better offensive line. So once that kind of gets going, then we'll be able to see if he is Kelly Bryant 2.0. I don't believe he is because I think he has it in between the ears and he has the elite arm talent. I think he's a better player than Kelly Bryant because Kelly Bryant had better talent around him whenever he was the starter at Clemson than DJ does. But I don't. I, I do see the similarities that the offense is going to look very similar to the Kelly Bryant 
days because I don't think that DJ is going to be able to – I don't think that Justin Ross is, like I said earlier, I don't think that he's going to be the dude that he was his freshman year. Uh, I don't think that Clemson has the skill players that are ready to, you know, burst onto the scene necessarily. And, and they don't have the offensive line to, to protect him. And, I mean, I was talking to a buddy of mine that's a, Clemson, that's a big Clemson fan the other night, and I said that game felt very much to me like that 2017 Sugar Bowl between Alabama and Clemson where it was just a defensive juggernaut and you hope the offense finally breaks through. And Kelly Bryant was the quarterback of that Clemson team. So the, the offense does look very, very similar. Here's the difference. Kelly Bryant could not throw the ball. Kelly Bryant was a running quarterback. He is what Jalen Hurts was at Alabama before Jalen Hurts learned how to throw a ball at Oklahoma. Kelly Bryant was not a good quarterback. DJ threw for over 400 yards against Notre Dame last year and threw for over 300 yards against Boston College last year. The only reason he did not have a great game is was the first game of the year. His best receiver was just coming off a season-ending ACL tear. This is his first game back. And Justin Ross. Justin Ross, when healthy, is a first-round pick at receiver, in my opinion. And his offensive line is absolute garbage. If they can figure out how to protect him, and he can, or he can figure out how to move in the pocket better and just get away from that rush, I think DJ could be a really, really special quarterback. I don't think he's Trevor Lawrence. I don't think he'll ever be Trevor Lawrence. But I do think he has a way better arm than Kelly Bryant. Kissler's actually got a second question. This one is... Georgia Tech players gassed in second half and lost to NIU. Is Jeff Collins on the hot seat? Nathan, I love you, buddy. But it's Georgia Tech. Who cares? Totally, totally agree. Totally agree. I don't care at all. I don't think Jeff Collins is on the hot seat, though, to give you an answer. And I think it's because Georgia Tech is obsessed with him, and I don't know why. The dude is an absolute clown, to be honest. But he is – He's. He should be, but I don't think he is. If my, I think he's one of the worst coaches in college football. Everyone still thinks he's a good coach because he had one good year at Temple the year after Matt Rule was there. I, I think he's a really good recruit. He's a good recruiter. I mean, he does. He's done a good job for Georgia Tech. He's a good. He's a good social media personality. I don't know about a recruiter. I mean, then they, they weren't they in like the top thirty year last year in recruiting or forty. I mean, for Georgia Tech, that's really good. I'm talking relative. I'm not talking like, oh, he's not going to have Georgia Tech in the top five and recruiting any on any given year and not the top ten. It's too hard of an academic school to get into. But, I mean, I, I would if, – if I were a Georgia Tech fan, I would want Jeff Collins to be on the hot seat at least moderately. But I don't think that he is because they still have a lot of money that they're paying to a couple of basketball coaches that they got rid of really, really quickly. So – Georgia Tech's not one of those schools that has a huge athletic budget either, I don't think. I mean, I know they've got they've got some big money donors, but it's not the program that it once was. Um I look, Jeff Collins, I, I like him as a as a dude. I don't know how he is as a football coach. Uh kind of with wit on that. I don't think he's I I'm not gonna say he's the worst. I think he's an all right football coach. Uh he just doesn't have the talent that he needs to win at Georgia Tech. And it's hard to get the talent that you need to win at Georgia Tech. So Jeff Collins should be on the hot seat, but I agree with Witt. I don't think he is yet. But we're going to go ahead and move on to the last question. This is from at the, the underscore swan. And his question is, will Vandy win a game this season? What do you all think? No. Nope. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to tell you why. Because Vandy plays UConn at home, and UConn has already fired their coach. They're two games in. And the coach is already gone. They suck. 
I mean, really suck. They lost to Holy Cross last weekend. They're a bad football team. Vandy will beat them. And I'm not saying Vandy is good at all. That'll probably be their only win of the season. I was going to say, I mean, I feel like that's going to be a barn burner, man. Because Vandy just lost to Eastern Tennessee State by 20. <laughs> yeah, but Eastern Tennessee State's better than Holy Cross. I mean, come on. Eastern Tennessee State is a somewhat decent FCS team. Holy Cross is like bottom of the barrel. But either way, I mean, UConn is bad. They're This is a bad team. I mean, they lost to Holy Cross pretty bad. So And, and they UConn plays Clemson, too. I can't wait to watch that game. That game, if Clemson can get the offense going, they're going to score 100 points. Either way, we're moving on to our pour one out, cut them off segment. Lando, who are you pouring one out for? Pouring one out this week for Denny Hamlin, who won the cookout Southern 500 at Darlington this weekend. Ran a great race. It was an awesome race. Uh, awesome finish. Kyle Larson was coming in hot at the end, got into the fence, and they were beating and banging. But Danny Hamlin finally got that win, that elusive first win of the season, and now he's leading the uh, NASCAR playoffs. I'm cutting off all the people saying that Kyle Busch should be suspended or docked points for the way he drove into the pits, into the garage area uh, in that same race. If you didn't see it, Kyle Busch got wrecked, and then he's kind of known as a hothead, but when he drove into the garage area, there were people kind of crossing over, and a lot of people walking in that back area, and he almost hit a few people. Um, If you've ever been to a NASCAR race, you know when you're in the pit area and you're around those cars, you need to keep your head on the swivel and know where those cars are at all time, and you can't, you know, expect a driver who just got wrecked and is furious to, you know, watch out for people that are on the pit lane. He slowed down, so... You know, that's that, but I don't think he should be docked any points or suspended. So I'm cutting off all those people who are saying that should happen. Matt. So this week, I am pouring one out for two people. One, I'm pouring one out for the Kappa Sigs at Ole Miss. Uh, ran into those guys last night. They were uh, sitting, I ended up in the student section at the Ole Miss game. Those guys are sitting behind us. Um, and then next thing I know, why I wind up talking to them, I'm like ancient compared to these dudes. They're like 10 years younger than me. And I'm, you know, fretting about how I'm going to feel in the morning because I hadn't stayed up past midnight on a school night in a very long time. Uh, but those dudes were awesome, man. Had a, had some great conversations, uh, passed out, the threw, threw the podcast out there to them. They said they were going to check it out. So uh, maybe you guys are on your way back to Oxford and you're going you're, you're gonna to throw this on. So shout out to you guys. Had a good time with you. Um, and then I'm also pouring one out for Matt Corral because the dude came in and, and I talked about this two or three weeks ago about how he was the dark horse quarterback that not from an Alabama or an Oklahoma that I thought was going to really have a show out year. And he started off the year on a great note, 381, a touchdown, and then a touchdown on the ground too. made some really good throws. That Lane Kiffin offense, that Jeff Levy offense that they've got going on at Ole Miss right now is lethal. And they look like they've got a defense this year. So I uh, had a blast at Mercedes-Benz. Attendance was terrible. And that's why I'm cutting off Monday night Chick-fil-A kickoff games. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched the game and saw the attendance, but it was like 30,000. It was less than half of Mercedes-Benz that was full, allegedly. I think it was even less than that. There was really like two sections of Ole Miss fans that kind of filled it in, and then like one section of uh, the, the Louisville fans. But – the the problem is is I talk and I talked to numerous Ole Miss folks and they did not want to make the drive or fly back to Jackson on a Monday night when they had to go to work the next day. Whereas on a Thursday night, like they've done it in the past, where they have the Thursday kickoff 
and then the the Saturday, if it's on Labor Day weekend, they'll take off the Friday from work and the Thursday from work, extend their weekend out, and have a good time. So I, I'm cutting off the the Chick Fil A kickoff game on Monday night. Attendance was tra- was terrible. Uh, it was a good time because of the the small number of people that were there made it fun. But uh, no more Monday night kickoff game. Wit. Yeah, Matt, I'm totally with you there. I'm actually gonna play off of that and go to my cut them off to start out. I'm cutting off putting Alabama in kickoff games. I'm sick of it. Like I said earlier. We do not need to watch Alabama beat up on mid-level top, you know, 20, 25 teams. It makes people look bad. It it makes that 3:30 game, that middle of the middle of the day game or the night game just completely boring. I mean, that game was played off as the second best game of the entire weekend, and a lot of people were, you know, hyping up Miami, trying to get into the game. And then Alabama comes in there and just blows the crap out of them. I would have much rather seen Ole Miss play Miami, instead of seeing Ole Miss play Louisville, I would have rather seen Miami play LSU, Miami play Texas A&M, a team that even if you know that SEC team is better, they're on a closer level than Alabama. I mean, Alabama first week of the season is going to be on a different level than everybody. So let Alabama play a cupcake week one, let them just beat the crap out of that team, and let's see some decent matchups. And I'm pouring one out. I got two pouring one outs. I just added a second one. My first one is for my dad. I'm pouring out for my dad. He just got a great picture. He just sent it to me of him and Blooper at the Braves game. We all love Blooper. He's a great mascot. It's a it's a wonderful picture. Uh, shout out to my dad. And pouring one out for American tennis at the U.S. Open. I know a lot of people aren't huge tennis fans, but I grew up playing tennis. I'm a big tennis fan. I really don't follow it a ton unless there's history being made by guys like Federer, Nadal, people like that. But this year, three Americans made it to the round of 16 at the U.S. Open. It was Francis Tiafo, Riley Opelka, and Jordan Brooksby all played college tennis. Francis Tiafo didn't. The other two actually played at UCLA when they won the national championship. It was really fun to watch. I love following American tennis when we're doing decent. All three of them did lose in the round of 16. That happened last night. But this is the first time in years that we've had more than one American slip by and get to that final 16. Hopefully we'll see some more American tennis coming forward. I think that's the reason it's kind of dropped off in America is because we haven't had guys like Andy Roddick or John McEnroe and, and Pete Sampras like back in the day. Um, so hopefully we'll start seeing that again. Keys, who you pouring one out for? I am pouring one out for UCLA Twitter. I'm sure everybody saw the video of Ed Ogeron talking about their sissy blue. So after they beat him, after UCLA beat LSU 38-27, to the UCLA Twitter page said, peep the header, and put a, a picture of a t-shirt that said Sissy Blue, but they spelled blue with a with a capital U uh, instead of an E-A-U-X. So UCLA Twitter was on fire. It was hilarious. And I'm cutting off Vanderbilt and the SEC. Man, they've just been the worst for forever. And with all these new teams coming in with the talk of power conferences, things like that. Vanderbilt just does not fit the mold anymore for the SEC. Maybe they need to move to a different conference, make make room for the new guys coming in, but Vandy's getting cut off. And, uh, Witt, I saw – you talked about your dad a second ago. I saw your dad uh, took your place at uh, at the UGA Clemson game. You you know you've let our viewers down twice in a row now. I let, I let myself down. I let myself down. But it's not my fault. It's a little lady called COVID's fault. And uh, not happy with her, but she did keep me from going to Charlotte. 
Um, I think it was the right decision. I'm glad I didn't go. It ended up being a lot of moving around and a lot of drinking, which I don't think I really would have been up for this weekend. So I am sad about it. If I could go back and, and not get COVID, I, I wouldn't. I would do it. But either way, I'm sad to miss it. I still I got to watch it in my apartment. I'm surprised I didn't get a noise complaint with how loud I screamed when uh, Christopher Smith had the pick six. But definitely sad I didn't get to go. Sorry for letting everybody down. Man, I didn't even realize you didn't go. I, I For this whole time, I thought that you had gone. So I was actually getting ready to ask how Charlotte was because we didn't even <laughs> talk about that. And, uh, man. Well, per per everyone else, it was awesome. Per Brad Barfield. The tailgate they went to, they actually FaceTimed me. And two of my buddies that live in Nashville, uh, Murph and Eddie, they ended up going to the game. They bought tickets a week before for like 150 bucks less than I did. And they FaceTimed me. And there was like 200 or 300 people at that tailgate. It was huge. They drank for free the whole time. It was insane. And it was all local brewed beers. It wasn't like like Bud Light and light beers and stuff like that. It was like well like good tasting beer. So I was I was very disappointed I ended up having to miss it. But I made two new Georgia fans, so I'm happy about that. So the uh I went to the alumni the Ole Miss alumni tailgate uh before the, the game yesterday and it was catered Fox Brothers barbecue and and they had like Monday Night Brewing, uh, Slap Fight was there, um, and then they had Bud Light, Miller Light, all that stuff. But they ran out of that like quick, and so I was telling all these folks were most of them were from Mississippi, and they're like, "Hey, like, what should I get?" And I'm like, "Check out the Slap Fight. It's actually a really, really good beer. So you, I think you'd enjoy." And had a couple guys come up like, "Man, this is awesome! Like, where, where's this out of?" I was like, "It's it's here in Atlanta." So that was that was pretty cool. Um, but man, like it. It was good to be back. That was the first big game that I've been back to. Like uh, where there was like there were more people there at that game than there was at any of the either of the Ole Miss games I went to last year, uh, just because of the capacity restrictions that they had. So it was still really good to be back in an environment. They did like the Walk of Champions. It was like a, a mock up Walk of Champions. Uh, so it wasn't like the same as the Grove, but it was still really cool. Really nice, really cool environment. Uh, people from Mississippi are awesome. Yeah, they are. And we had a lot of really good games last weekend. Um, it was really fun to get to watch it all. This weekend, we got a lot of good games as well. We're actually bringing out our locks of the week this week. We're bringing it back from last year. We didn't do it last week. This is our first week doing it this year. Lando, who's your lock? Lock of the week is going to be Coastal Carolina over Kansas. Kansas finally won a game this year, but they're no match for Coastal Carolina. So that's my lock of the week, Matt. My lock of the week is going to be Ole Miss over Austin P. Uh, going to take an easy one here. Home run, knock it out of the park. Uh, shout out to, to to all the Rebs out there. Uh, Rebs are going to win this one by a lot. Wit. Yeah, that game should be a beatdown. And I also think Miami versus App State is going to be a beatdown as well. Miami is an eight-and-a-half point favorite at home coming off that Alabama loss. I think they're going to kick it into a different gear to show that they aren't this – pushover of a team they're not as far off from Alabama as they looked on Saturday um, I don't think it's really gonna be that big of a blowout I do think it's gonna be a 17 to 20 point victory a lot of people are calling us a trap game saying that App State is probably gonna end up winning this game App State has Bryce or uh, Chase Bryce who played for Clemson he was a backup for Trevor Lawrence for a while um, he's their starting quarterback now and he looked really good on Saturday or on Thursday but I still think that Miami is just a better team. They have some good talent. Um, if I were you, take them. Take them with the spread. I think they're going to uh, knock it out of the park for sure. Keys, who's your lock of the week? 
So you guys pretty much already picked all the good games, and y'all y'all pick the good games uh, after this too. So I'm gonna go with the the local game, Kennesaw State University versus Georgia Tech. And honestly, I'm rooting for KSU, and I'm I'm hoping they're gonna pull up the upset. Uh, it'd be really great for their program. Georgia Tech's a wash anyway, so Kennesaw State over Georgia Tech. I like it. That's bold. I love it. I love it. I'd love to see it too, for sure. For sure. We'll get into our main picks of the week. For our first game, we're going to bring back an old tradition we did last year. Uh, we skipped it last week, but we're going to bring it back for the rest of the season. We're going to pick the Georgia Southern game. We all went to Georgia Southern. We're all alumni. We all love the Eagles. Georgia Southern's playing at FAU this weekend. Uh, FAU is a seven-point home favorite. Lando, who are you picking? I'm never going to pick against Georgia Southern. Hail Southern. I, I, I wish I had that same loyalty, but I, I love Georgia Southern. If this game was in Paulson, I'd pick them. I, I would do it, but this game is not in Paulson. It's in Boca Raton. FAU looked pretty good last week. They they hung in there, so I, I'm going to go FAU, and I, I think that they're going to they, – I think it will be closer than seven, but more than five. Yeah, when I was originally going through these games, I picked FAU as well. FAU looked pretty good against Florida. I watched a lot of that game during the Georgia game, but – I think Georgia Southern likes to struggle early on against lesser teams. We like to play down to, um, we like to play down to the teams we're playing, which I don't really love that we do. But I've noticed we like to play up against teams as well. Last year against FAU, we played really well. We pushed them around. We won that game in Paulson Stadium. If this was in Paulson Stadium, I'd for sure go with Georgia Southern. But I do think it's going to be a close game. I think Georgia Southern is going to win by a last-second field goal. And uh, But I'm going to take Georgia Southern to win. I think we're going to pull the upset for sure. And moving on to our next game. This is kind of a sneaky, really good game this weekend. This is Pittsburgh, who is a two-and-a-half-point favorite, heading to Neyland Stadium to take on Tennessee. Lando, who are you picking? I was impressed with old Smokey last week. I believe that Tennessee has the, has the capability to improve on what they did last week, so I'm going old Rocky Top. Matt? I'm right there with you. I'm going with the, with the Vols as well. Uh, the offense that they had looks a lot better, really smooth. I know they played Bowling Green. I'm not hyping you know Tennessee up to be something great, but I think that they are a really good team, and I, I don't think that uh, Pitt's going to have what it takes to stop them. I'm going Vols by seven. Look, I would pick Tennessee too, if not for the fact that Pittsburgh brings back quarterback Kenny Pickett. He's been there forever. The past two years, I thought he's looked really good for a Pittsburgh quarterback. They had a really good first game. They showed out really well. They've had a pretty good defense the last couple years as well. Um, I don't think Tennessee is that good. I watched them play. I thought Joe Milton looked terrible. Um, he doesn't ever want to run the ball. He overthrows receivers by like 30 yards every time he slings it. Um, I think he's got a good arm. I think he's got a lot of upside. I think the offense as a whole has a lot of upside, especially the run game. But I, I think Pittsburgh is just going to be a little bit better. I'm going to take Pitt with the points. I think it's going to be at least a 7 point win um i think tennessee fans are going to be real disappointed with this one um but i think better days are ahead for rocky top for sure and on to our next game this is also one that might be kind of sneaky it's texas a&m who's a 16 and a half point favorite heading to colorado lando who you got giga maggies that's easy matt yeah a&m's run game looked really really good this past weekend i don't think they're going to be able i don't think colorado's got the defense to to slow down that run game uh Isaiah Spiller is a is a beast of a running back. I thought he looked good last year. I'm going Aggies by seventeen at least. 
Yeah, I think they're going to win in cover. Colorado, honestly, to me, I just don't think they're that good. I think if you had that team uh, a couple years ago when they um, did they win? Did they win the South? I think they did win the they, South. Yeah, right? they, they won. They went to the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, if you had that team that went to the Pac-12 championship, I think they could give them a run for their money at home, just because the atmosphere in Colorado. And when I mean atmosphere, I don't mean fans. I mean like the actual physical atmosphere is so much different than it is in the South. It's going to be a completely different feel for the Texas A&M players, but A&M has way more talent than Colorado. I don't think I don't like Colorado's new coach. I think they're going to blow them out. I think it's going to be at least a 20-point victory. I'm very curious to see how Haynes King does at quarterback, though, because I thought he looked really, really bad against Kent State, and that's Kent State, and Colorado is better than Kent State, I'll tell you that. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. But moving on to our next game, this is one of our games of the week. It's Iowa at Iowa State going into Ames, Iowa. Iowa State is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Lando, who you got? Iowa State looked bad last week. They're going to figure it out this week. I got Iowa State by a touchdown, an extra point, and a field goal. Matt? So I thought I, – I was impressed with Iowa this past weekend, but it was Indiana, and, and you never know what you're going to get out of an Indiana team. And then Iowa State, they didn't look like themselves either. They played really, really bad against Northern Iowa. Uh, but I am going to go with the Hawkeyes solely because of our buddy Mark Scratis. I, uh, I went with the Hawkeyes last week, and uh, they pulled through for me. So I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes to win this one here. I think that it's going to be a really close game. But I think I was actually a sneaky, really, really good team in the Big Ten. That defense is going to be good. Their offense looks like it's got some uh, some some spark in it. So I, I'm I'm excited to see what the Hawkeyes do. I'm going Hawkeyes here by four. See, I think a lot of people come into this game at the beginning of the season, we're going to think this is a game Iowa State is going to define their season because they've lost the last seven games to Iowa. So they, they've really struggled against the Hawkeyes. And Iowa State's a top 10 team this year. Iowa, I think, was top 17 or 18, 19 maybe. But Iowa looked way better in week one. They looked good against a better team than Iowa State did. Iowa State struggled against Northern Iowa. It could just be because Iowa State didn't come out. I mean, same as Oklahoma, same as some other teams. Ohio State was the same way. Didn't come out and play the way they should in that first game. I think it's because Iowa State is a little bit overrated this year. I think they lost more guys than people were giving them credit for. I think they just brought back the big stars, didn't bring back the um, little depth pieces that they had last year. I think Iowa brought back those depth pieces. I think they're going to be really solid. I think their defense looked really good. Um, and it could have been maybe, you know, Michael Penix isn't as good as he was last year. He threw three interceptions. Um, I think one of them went back to they, – they went for a pick six. It might have been two. I can't really remember. Either way, I think Iowa's better in the trenches. I think that's the reason they're going to win this game. I picked Iowa State at the beginning of the year to win the game, but I'm flopping over. I'm going to pick Iowa. I think it's going to be a really, really good, hard-fought, close game. Um, I think it's going to be very low scoring. Take the under if you uh, – if you're into that kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm taking Iowa in like a 20 to 17 type game. Next game, we got a future SEC taking on an SEC team, uh, both kind of more towards the Southern Midwestern kind of area though. Texas is a six point favorite heading into Fayetteville, Arkansas. Arkansas looked pretty good last weekend um, with a big comeback and Texas looked good against Louisiana. Used to be Lafayette, now just Louisiana. Lando, who you picking? I want to see what Texas is made of. Uh, I think they're going to win this game. It's going to be close. Um, Texas by eight. Matt. 
Sam Pittman's done a really, really, really good job with this Arkansas team. I mean, he took a program over that was in shambles, and they were competitive in pretty much every game last year. Uh, and then this year, I think they're going to be very much the same. I just think Texas has more talent than Arkansas does, and that's where it's gonna that's gonna be the difference. I think Texas wins this game, uh, and and I think it's gonna be like a three point to seven point game. I think it's gonna be a really good close matchup, uh, but Texas is going to pull through. Yeah, I'm with you guys with Texas. I came into the season thinking that they were not going to be a very well-coached team. I wasn't a huge fan of C. Sarkeesian because of how he's been in the past as a head coach. And I'm not saying I'm, you know, ruling all that out, thinking he's, you know, going to be the next next Mac Brown over there, be the next Saban taking over uh, Texas. But I do think that Texas looked a lot better coached than they have in the past couple of years, it looked way better than they did with Charlie Strong, way better than they did with Tom Herman. Um, I know it's only one week and it was Louisiana, but Louisiana is a top 25, 30 team for sure. And they have probably a top 15 to 20 head coach in the country, maybe even better than that. Um, and Billy Napier. I do think Texas is going to come in firing. I think Arkansas is pretty good as well. I think they're going to fight pretty hard, but I think Texas is too talented and too well coached to lose the game, even though it is an away game. I think Texas is going to win by like a, a solid hard fought 17. I think that they're definitely going to cover though. And on to our last game. This is the game of the week. I think college game day is going to this game too. Oregon is ranked 12. They're heading to Columbus, Ohio to take on Ohio state. Ohio state is a 14 point favorite after not looking the best against Minnesota. Landa, who are you picking? Upset. Oregon's defense is going to get after CJ Stroud. They're going to make him make a lot of mistakes. So I'm going Oregon close. So I am going with Ohio State in this game. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau uh, is a playmaker for Oregon, and I don't know that he's going to be playing in this game. I don't think that they've officially ruled him out, but I I don't think that he is going to play in this game. Um, And even if he did, I think Oregon's defense would be legit. But both of these teams struggled in week one. Ohio State struggled with Minnesota on the road. Oregon struggled with Fresno State. So I, I don't think either of these teams looked up to what they had been hyped up to be all offseason. Uh, C.J. Stroud is going to have to take a step forward. But I think that the game experience, first game on the road in an environment that he had never experienced before. Minnesota was rocking that night. P.J. Fleck had those guys ready to play. And that game went exactly like I thought it was going to go. Uh, but I, and, and I think this one is going to be a close game. But I think Ohio State wins this game ultimately by 10 to 17. I think, I think they pull away at the end. I just don't think, without Kayvon Thibodeau on the defense, that Oregon is going to be able to hang with them. Yeah, if Kayvon Thibodeau was playing, I would think that Stroud would be under a lot more pressure. I do think he's going to play. I think they're going to work it out to where he can play. But I don't think he's going to be himself. I don't think he's going to be getting after the quarterback as well as he has been. This is going to be probably the best offensive line he's faced since coming to Oregon. So he's going to have a really tough matchup on his hands if he does play at all. Um, But I'm taking Ohio State. I actually think Ohio State wins pretty big. Like I'm talking like a 20 to 30 point win. And the reason I feel that way is because it's in Columbus, Ohio. If this game was in Oregon, this was at Oregon, I think there'd be a much better chance of an upset. I also am not a big fan of Anthony Brown. I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. Um, I don't think he's going to do them any favors. He's a really good athlete. He's not a great passer. If this was that Oregon team with Justin Herbert that won that Rose Bowl and uh, they were playing at Oregon, I would 
be filling that upset a little bit more. I don't think Ohio State has a really good defense. I think they could take control of that if they can get a passing game going. But just trying to run the ball on Ohio State, when you can't even run the ball against Fresno State, I don't think they're going to do very much. So I think Ohio State's going to take that step forward, look a lot better than they did in week one, and uh, come out with like a solid 21 to 25 point win. Well, that's our show. Thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Before you guys log off today, please drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on our Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss in the show, and we'll be happy to include as much as we can. Y'all have a great week. Bye.